Uh, how are you doing today? Good, all right. For meeting for the first time, my name is Jared. I get to launch a brand new series of four weeks today called Future Family. And we're going to talk about what it might look like out there. Uh, probably we get beat up plenty along during the week, and we're not planning to do any of that here. We're going to talk aspirationally about what could be, and we're going to have some fun. First of all, all of you need to vote. You're going to vote at least one time with your hand, and some of you will vote multiple times. Number one, how many of you are students? You are formally students right now. All right. Amazing. I feel smarter just for seeing your hands. How many of you are married? Married. All right. How many of you are single? Single again. How many of you have kids? They might be tall or short. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. How many of you have empty nested? How many of you have boomeranged? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not picking my friends out, but when I ask that question, that's the least happy group of people that I ever, ever survey right there. Yeah. Well, in this talk today, I'm going to make most of the application toward marriage but I want you to know that what we're talking about can be applied to almost any relationship. And I hope along the way that you'll be translating these ideas over into various relationships across your life, uh, knowing that I'm going to be primarily talking and making my application about couples. Uh, by the way, singles, you are in very good company. Uh, Jesus was single. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah the prophet was single. Yeah. Paul the apostle was single. John the Baptist was single you're in good company. I mentioned that list in the first service and someone came up afterwards and says, but you know how their life ended. <laughs> I have no idea what I think I know what I'm saying to you, what you are hearing. No idea at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, a recent ad for, for jewelry said, falling in love is easy. Staying in love is hard, yeah. Uh, since it was a jewelry ad, I inferred from that that the hard work of staying in love is buying more jewelry. I think that was what they wanted to convey, but we know that all relationships have challenges, none probably more challenging than marriage. I want to start in this series with a foundation of three things we know from sure about the Bible. Then we're going to talk about why this relationship can be so challenging. And then we're going to talk about some seasons and some specific things that you can do at whatever season you find yourself in that uh, can be helpful in moving forward. Three things we know from the Bible for sure. Number one, Jesus wants you to be connected. The first time that we have a recorded prayer of Jesus where he specifically prays for us, is the night of his betrayal. It's found in John chapter 17. And not only is this the first prayer that we see Jesus praying for us, but it is the first item in the prayer. It must be very important. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus wants us primarily to be connected with God and with others. The second thing we know for sure is that it takes work to be connected. <laughs> Paul says it this way, get ready to sweat. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace 
So that's like at least one effort a month, right? Or maybe one a week, or maybe one a day, or maybe in some difficult seasons of your life, many, many efforts a day to maintain this. We know that Jesus wants you to be connected. It takes work to stay connected, and it pays off to be connection, to connected. Paul says it this way in Galatians, do not let us become weary in doing good, for at the right time, the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Here's the promise. During difficult times, if you stay at it, if you stay in it, if you invest in your spiritual life, if you invest in relationships, there will be a positive return on investment. That's God's way. These three things we know. Jesus wants you to be connected. It's hard work to be connected, and it pays off when you work at connection. Well, weddings. It's pretty easy to say, I do. Two very brief words, and someone coaches you on when to do that. But some of you have discovered that it's a lot more effort to actually live that out over time. Marriage can be hard work because you're taking these two very distinct individual lives, and you're merging them together into something which sounds beautiful in the Bible, oneness, but doesn't always click together all that simply in life. Have you noticed that? Two very separate individuals becoming this one package together. That can take some hard work. Couples, couples as they're thinking about getting married or as they're approaching marriage sometimes say to me, we just have so much in common. And I try to leave it there. But what I want to say is, life is going to teach you everything you don't have in common. And this is where the struggle comes. In fact, you know, we have different backgrounds. Some of you, some of you may have come from a relatively conservative political home, others more progressive or liberal. Or how about your religious background? Even if, even if you were raised as uh, Christians in the same faith, uh, one of your families may have had different beliefs and practices to the other one. I know one, one right and one wrong, right? I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> How about education? Man, if you went to private school or if you were homeschooled and, and the other one was public schooled, yeah. And how are your kids going to be raised? We get that. How about cultural backgrounds? Even if you come from the same nation of origin and have the same ethnic general cultural experience, what if one of you grew up in a big town and one of you in a small town? This is different stuff. How about the communication styles of your family? You know, my family, you know, we're kind of like going to the library for a family reunion. You know, you all show up, you smile quietly, you sit next to each other, very little interaction, feel very fulfilled and satisfied, and whisper goodbye on the way out. It was an awesome reunion. <laughs> Should do that every five or ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Other families, it's like a carnival. Yes. Yeah. Circus shows, competing for attention, wild and crazy, and talking over each other, and shouting and finger pointing and backslapping, tears and laughter and leaving, say, we need to do this next week. <laughs> yeah. Backgrounds are different. Personalities are different. Yeah. So uh, this doesn't describe any couple perfectly, but uh, Ann and I found one or two of these that might connect a little bit. You might as well. You know, there's some people who are morning persons. They're called larks. And there's night owls. There's spenders and there's savers. There's cuddlers and there's porcupines. Yeah. There's extroverts and introverts. There's clean freaks and slobs. Yeah. There are, don't, don't do that. 
Some are prompt, some are fashionably late. Yeah. Some love romantic comedies, others like good movies. Don't leave. You're kind of socially obligated to stay. (laughs) So here's the deal. And let's just kind of pile it on. Let's be real here. There's not only different backgrounds or different personalities, but life does stuff to us that changes us. We call these transitions. The birth of a baby, the death of a loved one, the diagnosis of an illness, finding a job, being promoted, losing a job, weight gain, weight loss, financial changes, moving, disagreements, new hobbies and interests. The child is born, they get out of diapers, they go to school, they become teenagers, they leave and come back. Making money, losing money, aging bodies, aging parents, aging minds, and each of these and other transitions influence us externally and require some internal response to change, often which produces transformation. We actually come out of it a little bit different persons than when we entered that season. No wonder a lifelong relationship is nearly impossible to pull off. No wonder some of us listen to a couple exchanging their vows saying, I do, and say what you are doing is the most audacious commitment that you could ever make. And I've had the privilege of officiating at a lot of weddings. We lost track after 200. I don't know what the real number is now, but it has been a lot and in those weddings, I love being a part because it is, it is the birth of something amazing. A new family is being born. And it is so special to be a part of the, the big smiles and the, the pictures and the, the big promises that are made. And what we know is that when they make these big promises, that they are launching into a lifetime effort of fulfilling those Last Friday, right here, I got to perform a wedding, and it was just so much fun, and it was beautiful, and it was delightful, and the couple said, I do. And then they read these beautiful vows that they had written to one another. And here's the deal on honeymoon weekend. They will spend the next 30 years trying to live out the vows they made in the first 30 minutes of their marriage. This is a big deal. So I love what the uh, writer to the Ecclesiastes says. This isn't, isn't on your outline. You might jot down the reference. It's Ecclesiastes 3.1. And if you can't spell like I can't, just put ECC and you'll have it down. And you'll think that Evergreen Christian Center has its own Bible. Now, there we go. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. Listen, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Seasons. I want to unpack today this idea of seasons. It would be easy if life were static, just constant, but it's not. And change brings new seasons. Some are created 
and invited, and some are uninvited and unexpected. Some seasons come quickly and go quickly, and some drag on and drag on. Some are enjoyable, some are difficult, and you just find the courage to hang in there knowing that it's just a season. Every time your relationship moves into a new season, the relational dynamics change. In our marriage, which some of you, some of you know is coming up on 40 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, I received a compliment last week on Easter from one of you. I think it was a compliment. You said, you look a lot better now than you used to. Uh, in our marriage of almost 40 years, some of you aren't on Facebook. Good for you. I've had 15 jobs. I couldn't get a job off of a resume. I can't keep one. Anne and I have pastored four churches, earned four degrees, lived in five cities and 11 homes, traveled to 34 countries, started four businesses, had two kids, gained two more through marriage, lost three parents, and gained four grandkids. A few changes in life. Two of our biggest changes came to do around one employer who recruited us to move from Oregon to Los Angeles for a job and then relieved us of those jobs so that a few years later we could move back to Oregon. Seasons. The foundation to live life in a healthy and sustainable way across seasons in a relationship is the foundation of, and you would know the right word with me, is the foundation of love. But love is a tricky idea to kind of get your arms around because I can truthfully say in one sentence, I love God and I love nachos. <laughs> and they're both very true. So, so context is very important to what we're talking about. Now, culturally, I think often when we talk about love, and especially romantic love and falling in love, we're talking about emotions. We're talking about chemistry. It's kind of interesting. Across many of the world's major cultures, across eons of time, the idea of connecting in a committed marriage generally did not have to do with the emotional idea of chemistry or sexual attraction. It was around other kinds of cultural values. It was around families merging their fortunes, or it was around caste systems, or it was political alliances, or it was how to have, make babies in a relatively a stable social institution and unit. It's a fairly new idea that people connect around this idea of attraction and chemistry. In fact, it's very interesting for me to see what the Bible has to say about this idea of love, because when we talk about falling in love, we talk about emotion. When we talk about the qualities of a sustained, healthy relationship that we admire, we tend to talk about actions. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 as he describes love, specifically the descriptors that he uses. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now notice that most of these words 
our actions. In fact, the words that are more emotional are describing the opposite of love. Envy and anger, for example. So what this powerfully tells us is that we can choose to love in any moment and any season of life in any relationship. So let's unpack the idea of four seasons. And for other reference that some of you might like to make, uh, Gary Chapman is uh, an author of uh, several books. One of them is The Five Love Languages, many of you are familiar with. Uh, he's written about the seasons of marriage. We're using his model as a result of that. Let's get the tough one out of the way, okay? And dive right in together with, what is it? Winter, yeah. Winter. Difficulty and detachment. Winter marriages are characterized by coldness, harshness, bitterness. The dreams of spring are covered over with the ice of winter. Conversations are only about logistics. Who's going to do what and when and how? And then why they didn't do it. Communication is relegated to a range from silence to angry outbursts of criticism. Lives are lived independently, though under the same roof. The emotions of a winter season are, are often hurt and anger, disappointment, loneliness, a sense of rejection, resignation. The attitude of spouses in the winter season are a pervasive pessimism, expecting the worst, thinking problems are too big, discouragement, loneliness, and that nasty habit of always blaming the other. Hmm. The natural in, in, uh, in, uh, inclination of individuals when in a winter season is to do what we would do in a blizzard. Withdraw from the elements. Isolate away from the pain. Which tends to make partners feel additional detachment and desperation for change. But I want to give you some hope in the middle of this dark story. And I want to give you some hope today because the truth is, in any church, including Evergreen, there are many living in winter. It may be the last thing that one feels safe about sharing with another. Christians are not supposed to experience this, are they? Seasons. There's a time for every season. Here's the amazing hope that comes within the human being. We tend to be wired to be these, even in our difficulty, these optimists that believe that things could be better. I believe that it's a part of the fingerprint of God in our lives as we are made in his likeness and image. And there is this, even in the pain and desperation, this sense of hope. And people don't tend to lay down in the snow and just freeze away. They tend to want to seek help not always knowing where. I think that's why the, uh, James, the, the writer of the book of James, half-brother of Jesus, 
writes these words for those of us in winter. In fact, he celebrates winter so much, it's almost a little bit harsh and stunning. But he quickly turns to the transformational possibilities that can happen in the winter seasons of life. Notice what he says in James 1, starting with 2. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when the tests and challenges come to you from all sides. Because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Hope in the winter. God works in the dark. There's hope for you. A large study that was done was among couples who said that they were currently very unhappy in their marriage. The longitudinal study then followed it up five years later, and it asked the similar questions, and this is what they reported. 86% of the couples who were unhappy with their marriage but stuck together for five years reported that they were very happy that they stayed together. Seasons, they come and go. When couples persevere and take positive steps, they reach out for friendly and professional help. They tend to become stronger. Most people don't just lay down in the snow and decide to die. Some of you may remember the story of a young couple who got stranded in a blizzard in the Sahara, Nevada. They found a little cave that provided some shelter. The 21-year-old mom stayed there with their four month old baby, and she uh, nursed the baby, and she kept the baby as warm as she could, while the husband trekked 40 miles through the snow to get to help. They found some help. First responders came, and others aided them, and they were able to survive and get through their horrible ordeal. That inspirational story about a real winter in real snow is a great metaphor about what some of you may have experienced in your life or what some of you may be feeling right now. And here is the good news. There is a way through. There is help available. There is hope for you. And beyond the pain and the distance that you may feel now, if you let God to work in you, he's doing James chapter 1 for you. And something beautiful and transformational is happening for you. There is a winter season. A strategy that I provided for you there, it's in your outline, it's not on the screen, but just take a look at it. You can take this home with you. Get some help from the perspective, experience, and expertise of others. Be a positive influence in your relationship. You may have to work on this alone for a period of time, but you can be a positive influence on your spouse, which in turn can influence them to join you. Here's the deal. Don't give up. Winter turns to, what is it? Spring. Here we go. Are you ready to get to that one? Whew, here we go. Yeah, let's go to spring. Okay, off and running. And what are the qualities that, uh, that um, exemplify spring? Excitement and opportunity. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Stars are in your eyes, baby. Here we go. Spring is where most marriages begin. But the excitement of creating new life is not just reserved for the newlyweds. The emotions that are characterized by spring are excitement and hope and joy and 
happiness. And couples often feel animated and buoyant. Their attitudes toward one another are positive, and they feel gratitude and anticipation of the future. Their overall sense is one of optimism and trust. They tend to get plenty of sleep. I describe people before they have children. No, no, yeah. A few days ago, um, I got to attend a spring training baseball game in Scottsdale. I shouldn't tell you that. I should not. Against my better judgment, I told you that. Happened to be the Mariners and the, the Rockies. Any Rockies fans? <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. We accept people from other faiths here. It's absolutely all right, yeah. Uh, Mariners fans? Yeah. Well, the majority of you that cared to vote will be glad to know the Mariners won six to three on a three-run homer. Yeah. How many of you couldn't care less? All right. We're done with baseball illustrations. Yeah. yeah. It was a beautiful day. I'm not really a baseball fan myself. I got lost in the deal. And for me, it's a little bit slow because I'm ignorant about it. But no complaints from me sitting in 84 degrees in the sun in a beautiful seat and walking around and seeing all the kids playing back there on the grass. It smelled good. It was beautiful. It was delightful. This is what spring is all about. And here's the good news for you and your marriage, or whatever relationship you're thinking about today, you can re-enter spring from wherever you are. It's a season. You can rediscover yourselves. You can decide to put away all of those assumptions that you've built up over time. You can assume the best again. Some of you are going to only remember one thing I say today, and it's this phrase. Buzzards find dead things because they look for them. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a strategy for spring. Notice it on your outline. Find the joy in helping your partner succeed. Do what you can to help them reach their potential for God. Offer encouraging words during tough times that will breathe life into the situation. Hmm. I know how powerful this is because that's a description of who Anne is for me in life. I'm the one that can easily become the Eeyore. I'm the one who lets my emotions follow the pattern of the seasons. It's a good thing I don't live in Alaska. I truly would be manic in the summer and not that in the winter. I understand the power of being faithfully supported. What follows spring? Oh, you are a sharp group today. Yes, four of you had the right answer, summer. And it's all about attachment and connection. Fun is the theme of the summer marriage. Any of you uh, candidates for that? Here we go, yeah. Life is beautiful. You're now reaping the benefits of the effort that you've made to understand each other. Partners share a deep sense of commitment and satisfaction and security in each other's love. Emotions include happiness and accomplishment and connection and peace. The communication tends to be constructive, but unattended summer can lead toward fall. So here's a strategy to help those who find themselves in summer. Embrace your differences We are unique creations of God. He brings our unique differences together as as one when we say, I do. And now that we're a team working under the direction of God to fulfill his purposes, 
it's a good time to deal with past failures. This includes identifying those failures, confessing those failures, repenting of them, and asking for forgiveness. The natural tendency is to think about reaching out for help when we've had the car wreck, right? The marriage is no longer working. Maybe we should get some help. I tend to intervene with couples who find themselves in summer. It's more like an oil change than having to replace a blown-up engine. If things are beautiful and contented and peaceful and stable and secure, knowing that other seasons are likely to come, maybe this would be a good time to reach back and deal with some of those untalked-about issues from the past Maybe the best time to get the oil change in the relationship is when it is still working fairly well. The season of summer. And then finally, there's the season of fall. Fall looks good on the outside, but the relationship is actually diminishing on the inside. <laughs> now, Anna and I happen to, to like fall in terms of uh, the seasons of the planet, I think fall trees are lovely and beautiful. Many of you share that as well. Until this last fall, someone totally messed with me. They said, go ahead and enjoy the beauty for a couple of days, but do you know what, tree, you know what trees are, aren't you? And I said, no, what? And they said, they're actually leaf hospices. <laughs> that did not need to come into my thoughts about fall. Yeah. Nor yours, apparently. Here we go, yeah. So here's the tricky thing about fall. For those of us that are on the outside, the relationship looks good. In fact, outsiders may even comment on how loving and healthy the relationship seems to be. Yet on the inside, we know that the relationship is changing. Hmm. The couple may not be as intentional about well, stuff they used to do regularly, date nights, and intentionally, personally growing spiritually. Regular sexual intimacy, just kind of drifting along in fall. Fall relationships can either be a prelude to winter, or the couple can dig deep and move back towards spring. The deal is you don't stay at fall forever. It's a dynamic season. Emotions that are sometimes associated with Fall are sadness and apprehension, rejection, loneliness, emotional exhaustion. It's awfully hard to keep up appearances when there's no longer the substance underneath it. This experience of fall can lead to winter with attitudes of neglect that allow the marriage to drift apart. Or the couple can go back to spring by giving attention to the kinds of actions they've done in the past that fosters positive relationships. Here's the deal. The couple will either grow closer together or drift farther apart. Hmm. When I was uh, in Arizona, just before I got to pick up uh, Bonnie and her sister to come home, uh, this would be hard for any of you to believe. This is a confession. I stopped at Starbucks for a few minutes and I was uh, doing a little bit of work there, and I was sitting in a chair, and perpendicular to me in an L shape, 
There were two other padded chairs, and they were near me, and they were empty. And then after a few minutes, a couple, probably in their mid to later 70s, it's hard to guess, isn't it, by the way? Yeah. Uh, came and had their coffees, and they had their own special mugs, and they sat down. And uh, they sat down, and they didn't say anything to each other. And they kind of just looked out into space. And they sipped their coffee, and they looked, and they sat. And then he, without looking at her, reached over like this and put his hand on the two arms of their chairs. And she, without looking, reached over and took his hand. And they continued to sit and hold hands and not look at each other and sip their coffee. And there was just this tremendous vibe of satisfaction and contentment and peace that I experienced. So I thought to myself, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity to have a good illustration for some sermon for Evergreen someday. <laughs> and so I messed with their peaceful little date out and and, uh, you know, how do you start by saying, you guys sure look peaceful, or why don't you look at each other when you hold hands? You know, I had some time to think it over, and I said, I said to them, excuse me, but I'm really admiring your coffee mugs. Do they have a history and a story? Yeah, and of course they did, and they told me, and I asked about their life, and, and, and she had been married and divorced and remarried, and her husband died, and he was married and widowed, and and they'd known each other almost for life. And 14 years ago, they got together and married. And they're living these senior years of their life together. And I thought to myself, I don't know in, if they're in spring or summer. You can tell when younger couples are in spring because they talk about sex all the time. <laughs> you, don't, you can't tell with older generations that are slightly more genteel, but... But I thought to myself, seasons are not only cyclical, but seasons in a relationship are not linear. You can come back from anywhere and experience that. Song of Solomon is a 3,000-year-old poem. It's too risque to read in public other than selected passages. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starting with verse 10. But you'll notice that as the poem is about these two lovers that are talking back and forth about their relationship, that the one lover is speaking to the beloved, and he is saying, we're coming through this season of winter, and we're coming back to spring in our life. Notice the hope that you'll hear in this story. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Whew, it's getting red here. Yeah. What's the lover saying? Winter is past. Spring has come. That's the hope of transformation. Here's a strategy for fall. Notice it in your outline. Choose a positive attitude. We should never allow negative attitudes to dictate our behavior. It's the fastest way to end up in 
winter. Just act the way you feel. The ice will come. Instead of choosing to focus on the negative, focus on the positive. You can choose to love in any season. Your handout has a survey on the second side. It might be kind of fun for you to take. If you uh, are a couple, uh, it'll be particularly uh, interesting and insightful for both of you to do it. Column one, two, three, and four associate with winter, spring, summer, or fall, and it might be a good point of self-discovery and uh, discussion for you. Whatever season you're in, as you look at the strategies, it may well make sense for you to reach out and find some friendly and or professional help to help you move forward. The deal is this. God wants your life to be full of his joy. I know this talk has kind of sounded like uh, Carol King's 1971 hit, Winter, Spring, Summer, or Fall. (laughs) All you've got to do is call. And I'll be there. Yes, I will. Let's close with the number one strategy of all. You'll notice it on the screen in your outline. Here it is. This is the big story. We always come back to Jesus. He's always the big story. Live with Jesus' forgiveness, life, and leadership. Folks, our hope, our success... Our purpose is all tied up in Christ. Wherever you are today, and regardless of how many times you've made this invitation, receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. Receive his life today. Because winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call. And he'll be there. Yes, he will. Let's pray. God, wherever we are in life, you promised to come to give us abundance. And the truth is today, Lord, some of us, so many of us are experiencing what feels to be far from abundance in primary relationships. For some, it's with parents or with siblings, or with children, or with, or with partners. For some, it's with business associates. You're the one that's taking your truth and applying it for us today. God, we want your transformation in our lives and in our relationships. We receive your forgiveness so that we can have a reservoir of forgiveness to extend to others. We receive the fullness of your Holy Spirit so that we have the life and vitality and power and gifts to share with others. We receive your life. For those of us that are in winter, would you give us the courage to not lie down in the snow to die? Would you give us the courage to reach out for help, courage to fan that flickering flame of hope that's in us into a glowing, glowing flame that says, I know that if I move through this season with Jesus, I'm going to move out to a better place as a better person. Would you help those of us, Lord, that may find ourselves in spring or summer, not 
take for granted the season of blessing that we're in and use it to be extraordinary, generous to others, as well as being attentive to those things that help us grow forward. God, would you help us as a community of friends be so open and trustworthy and willing and generous that we can reach out and be reached out to, to be friends along the way. Our prayer, God, is that in doing that, that you will be loved better and others will be loved more. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.